Lovely to see you. Morning, everybody. I've met some lovely visitors already this morning, so, so welcome if you're here for the first time. Lovely that you're here. I bet you're absolutely thrilled that you're here on a money Sunday. Um, but it's, uh, no, it's important. Jesus spoke a lot about it, so we, we do it unapologetically, don't we? And uh, what a momentous week in the life of our town, uh, having been cruelly uh, denied and passed over and ignored for decades. What, what are you waving at me, Peter? An offering. We're going to take an offering. <laughs> Marvellous. No, we're not. Not, not now. We're, get, we're going to do that later. Executive decision. Yeah, I have that word from the Lord right there. Uh, extraordinary week. Having been denied uh, inexcusably for decades, uh, finally our, our town has been blessed by John Lewis arriving and opening its doors, you know, uh, to us. And uh, anybody been here yet? Don't be brave. Yeah, I, I, popped in on, I popped in on Thursday, had a quick, well, a slow wander around because there's so many people. Uh, kept my wallet firmly shut. And um, all very shiny and sparkly if you've been in there and, and all the usual evidence of, of the, the kind of vision and values, as it were, of John Lewis being worked out in that um, sparkly new store with uh, all kinds of customer experience, thoughtfulness and design and execution and all of that. The practical working out of the vision and values of that partnership. And actually, I pray success on it. I hope that we do. I hope we pray success on that and indeed all our, our, our local businesses, revitalization of the high street, prospering of the local economy and all of that. But we're in this series, as Andrew said, and if you're new to us, where we're focusing on the vision and values of uh, the kingdom and how that works out in our lives in particular ways. And unashamedly, so Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, doesn't he? For those of us who have begun relationship, are followers of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Top priority for family members is to do that. But we're applying that question to the resources that God has, has given to each of us. We could, of course, equally apply this to our time, massive resource, to our gifts that God has given us, to the abilities that we have, to so many other things, to our energy and so on. But the focus is on our financial resources and, and, and that's where we are be a bit of overlap in this message uh, with the two previous weeks. If you are a member of the family, you've missed last week or the week before, in my opinion, two excellent, excellent talks from Hills and from Andrew last week. Catch up with them. How do we see our money? Whether we have relatively lots of it or relatively uh, little of it, we all have a way of seeing it. You don't have no way. We all have a way of seeing our financial resources. And the question, therefore, is to what extent is that a kingdom way, a kingdom of God way of seeing? What would that look like? As much as I love uh, the United Kingdom and am proud to be British and love lots of things about our nation, the United Kingdom, the vision and values and culture of the United Kingdom, uh, are not the same as the vision and values and culture, clearly, of the kingdom of God, uh, which is radically countercultural, as we know and explore in all kinds of ways. And we're not born into those vision and values, are we? When we come to faith, if we come to faith in Jesus, begin relationship with him, we don't automatically take on kingdom vision eyes. We come with a whole load of, of baggage and experiences and history and other kinds of ways of seeing that then need to be 
bit by bit, as God reveals things to us, shaped by him, so that the way that we move towards seeing is a kingdom way of seeing. We don't start there. So we're on that journey if we choose to be. I remember years ago, or a while ago, Hills came up here and she wore her pink glasses, the pink glasses of faith, if you like, seeing through the lens of uh, God, seeing through the lens of the kingdom of God. What might that look like as we apply it to all kinds of areas of our life? So I suppose my question is specifically this. Do you have a vision for your money that is a kingdom of God vision? To what extent would it align with that? And and are we moving towards that? And are we allowing God to reshape the way that we we think and, and so on about it? Uh, One question and one picture before we really launch in. The question would be this. um, Are we willing to hear and respond to whatever God might be showing to us about the way that we currently think about money? That's a complex, slightly complicated question, sorry, but you you get the, the point there. Do we believe that God's got anything to say to us on this? And if we do, what is it? And if he does, what are we going to do about it, basically? I have a vicar friend in London. Recently, he told me at the end of his sermon, a chap came up. It's a great vicar sermon. It's exactly what they need to hear down the East End. And um, I don't know where to start with that, really. Other than to say, I suppose that there's such a sensitivity around money, because there just is, that it can be one of those topics where we're we're even more than normal. We want to apply messages about it to other people. Uh, friends, there is no place for judgment in the kingdom of God. God is judged. This is about us and it's about him. Um, it's not even about me. It's certainly not about whether you agree with what I say this morning. It's a question of whether you choose to seek God. Hopefully he'll use some of what I say. Uh, but, but then what am I going to do with, with what God says? And it's surprisingly tempting in this area of all areas to, to want to find reasons to disagree and then park it somewhere. Because uh, it's challenging. Everybody knows that. Uh, Second picture is um, this one. Some of you will recognize Striding Edge. Thanks, Hudson. Uh, Up in the Lake District, which I climbed a little while ago uh, or walked across. Uh, The best place, of course, uh, the best way to handle Striding Edge, as as, uh, dodgy as it looks, is to take the path along the ridge. uh, Because either side you don't really want to go. So there's a danger of falling off on either side. And I just want to say, I suppose, that the, the wind of... Uh, bad teaching, the wind of bad thinking, the wind of the culture to some extent, um, the wind of opposition, frankly, spiritual opposition, will want us on this and other issues to fall off on one side or the other. Uh, I I might want to, Jesus said this, he said, beware of the the leaven, that's the yeast of the Pharisees, what we might call the religious kind of spirit, what I might call here legalism, uh, which in this area of money tends to go down the line of should, we ought, Um, you must, there are rules, it looks like this, I judge you if you don't do it like that, I judge myself, I get guilty, Uh, I feel a constant failure and I need to try harder. That's falling off in that direction. The other direction we might call license, so religious legalism, we might fall off into worldly license, a kind of Christianized version of it which goes, well, I'm free, God set me free, so I'm no longer under law, I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I feel like and if I get it slightly wrong, well, God's gonna forgive me anyway, so it's all right. Uh, and I'll quietly ignore all the things that he says that I don't like. And, and those words like sacrifice and, and costly obedience and self-discipline, those aren't my favorite words, so I'll just um, park those as well. The way of life, not death, is the kingdom of God path, going the route of Jesus. 
Just going to read some of his teaching. This is going to have to, I'm going to have to accelerate. I'll probably leave a few bits out. But uh, let's read a little bit of Jesus' financial teaching, as it were. And he talks a whole load about this, uh, as you know, if you've been around the last couple of weeks. Huge proportion of the parables uh, about this kind of theme. So Luke 12, uh, just one story. I'm going to go from this and some other references. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told a parable, the ground, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no more place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The world runs after such things. Your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. These things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. That's Luke's version of Matthew 6 from the Sermon on the Mount. I'll refer to that a little bit and some other things. See, it's not really about money and stuff. We do know that, don't we? This isn't really about money. It's not really about our behavior around money. This is basically about treasure, and it's about trust. And as Andrew reminded us, those reside in our, in our hearts, in our inner places. This is all about treasure. It's all about trust, what I really treasure, and who I really trust. Well, they say that money talks... Um, it doesn't, of course. In fact, Proverbs says that it flies away, which is much more in line with my experience. But if it talked, <laughs> what would it say? Uh, here's my sort of uh, structure, as it were, for, for the things I'm going to say here. Um, what would money say? Seen through two different lenses, then. We're seeking to be a kingdom people. I hope, if you're giving your, that your amen, what, how, Lord, how am I thinking becoming more of a kingdom person, a God kingdom, than a united kingdom person? So we're looking through those two lenses. What I might call a worldly lens World in the sense that the Apostle John uses that, which is to say that part of our culture and society that does not base anything on, uh, on Jesus, that where Jesus is not a part of that, not at the core. Uh, where money, of course, is unredeemed, potentially an idol, potentially a big drug that can uh, entrap us. On the other hand, through the lens of the kingdom of God, where um, money is redeemed and is potentially a huge blessing, massively important and a, an incredible tool that can release God life. These are headlines. What I'd love us to be thinking about as a church family is how we take headlines, always actually from, from Sundays, and digest them and work them and chew them and discuss them and dare to be brave with each other in our ones or our twos or our life groups or wherever, because that's actually where a lot of decision-making gets, gets made, doesn't it? Uh, so I'm going to throw out some quite high-level things, but, and quite quickly. But I hope uh, we'll, we'll take them and see what God is saying. Uh, let's start with a really obvious chat-up line uh, from Worldly Money, which says this, idolize me. I'm the answer to lots of your problems, if not all of them. Kingdom Money says, worship God, serve him only. Very obvious, but let's start there. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus says it. He doesn't say you mustn't, by the way. He says you cannot it's impossible. 
It's part of being, being a human that we treasure things. Of course it is. Treasuring things is massively important. The things that you, you treasure, you take delight in, you take joy and you, you prize. You even put some of them in something called a safe because you want to keep them safe and protected. The, the photos of our daughter Rebecca's wedding uh, came through recently. We prize those things very much, always will. If a house burned down, we'd probably grab some photos. We treasure them, absolutely. Jesus says, though, be careful what you treasure. Why? Because what you treasure ends up shaping you. Here's Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of their hands. Those that make the idols are like them. So are all who trust in or treasure them. Treasuring the wrong thing, God in the Bible says, that's called idolatry. We don't like that word, but let's apply it. Treasuring the wrong thing is called idolatry, idol worship, where we become like the thing that we treasure most. We become like that thing, the biblical principle. So if I treasure physical appearance, I will be shaped by vanity and probably discouragement as the aging process takes hold. If I treasure pleasure-seeking and entertainment, I will be shaped most by boredom, in my view, and passivity and lack of purpose. If I treasure approval, I'll be shaped by insecurity and by other people's opinions of me. If I treasure money and stuff, then I'm very likely to be shaped by greed and by dissatisfaction. Watch out, back to Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out, says Jesus, be on your guard against this stuff. Be on your guard against greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. It doesn't say don't have stuff, obviously. Hills covered that brilliantly a couple of weeks ago. Stuff is a great blessing. The idea is that we have possessions, it's just that they don't have us. Because that way, remember, leads to death and not to life. Those who worship money tend to love money and use people. We need it the other way around. Those who worship God need to love people and use money. And as we're sitting there, we all give a good Christian amen to this. We're nodding internally. Yes, Tim, I'm on board with that. I agree with that. I have done for ages. But let's acknowledge this is a huge battleground. It is for me. I'm pretty sure it is for you. There's a huge battleground here. Sometimes it's an obvious battle. Sometimes it's subtle. Money and stuff just have a particular power to, uh, to, to get a grip and trap us in different ways, to become that false god that always demands attention, always uh, seeking more devotion from its followers, uh, promising good things, and of course never quite delivering on them so that we need to do the more thing. And by the way, idol, this idol uh, applies equally for very rich people as it does for very poor people. Money can be an idol to both in slightly different ways, but absolutely both, and all points in between, because it's never a question of how much we have, it's about how much of it has us and grips our hearts. Where your treasure is, your heart is. It's a fantastic phrase, isn't it? Well worth digesting more fully. I think it can work two ways around, by the way. Where, where we put our money tells us a lot about where our heart is. Uh, our, our bank account and our diary and so on tell us a lot about what our priorities are in life. I actually think it can also work the other way around. Uh, you can use your treasure to, shape, to begin to shape your heart, actually. Uh, the behavior can lead to change of, of heart. If you choose to, if you happen to have any disposable income and you chose to put it into Pizza Hut shares, uh, not that you particularly care about Pizza Hut, but I'm pretty sure that because you put your treasure there, your money there, you'd begin to take a bit more interest in Pizza Hut and how they're doing, what the market's like. You would become a little bit more attached to it. 
So friends, if we want our hearts to be more attached to the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom, put more of our money into that, more of our treasure into that and other resources that express the love of Jesus, help people to know him, and our heart for it will grow. That was a longer one too. Uh, Worldly money says compare upwards. Only compare yourself with, with people who've got more. That's the short route to a really toxic combination of dissatisfaction, jealousy, resentful, judgmental, self-pity, I'm, it's so unfair, poor me, etc., etc. Really interesting bit of research. Um, gold, uh, silver medal winners are less happy than bronze medal winners, research suggests. Because the silver medal guy is saying, if only I, I was within touching distance of the gold, comparing up. The bronze medal person is looking at the person who came fourth and is saying, well, at least I'm on the podium. Scientific research, really interesting. David illustrated it brilliantly. Kingdom money says this, don't compare, give thanks. Be thankful for all that you've got, where Andrew started us off this morning. Count blessings. A billion people in our world, as best I could find this statistic most recently, live on a pound a day. A billion people in our world live on less than a pound a day. Jesus says, pray this, give us our daily bread. Why does he pray this? Some scholars say that because to the world that he was talking about, for many, even a majority, to get from day to day physically was a real struggle. So one definition of rich would be this. Those who have enough not to have to worry about whether they're going to be alive tomorrow. If that is our definition of rich, my friends, then we are immensely wealthy. Some of, us, some of us lavishly so. And of course, I'm not saying or being insensitive to those who do find day to day a huge struggle. I'm delighted that we're a, a church, rightly so, that is aiming to make a difference and has done for years. But comparison is deadly. Un- third, unredeemed money says this, worry about me. Kingdom money says, pray about me and trust God because he's your provider. It's the number one cause of anxiety just behind health issues, Uh, money. Survey after survey says that. And the enemy feeds the lie that says the solution, of course, is to get more. So what happens? We begin to worry about how we're going to get the more money, which will help us to stop worrying about money. You see the the deceptiveness of of the argument. And by the way, when when money pulls us away from God, it never creates a soft heart, does it? Ever. Towards others, towards the needs of others. It gets preoccupied with itself. That's what worry is. Luke says it four four times in in Luke 12. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about money. Because it can be so preoccupying and, and it turns us inward on ourselves and it's negative meditation. And of course, worry never solves anything. And that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to be thoughtful and careful and to, to play our part. But God says, Jesus says, trust me. Pray and trust me. I'm your provider. I'll supply all of your needs. Philippians 4.19. All of your needs. I will supply them. If you trust me. Pray about everything. We learned that verse, didn't we? Those of us here two weeks ago. It's quite an easy one to remember. Philippians 4.6 or part of it. Pray about everything. Do you pray about everything to do with your finances? Everything. Whether you find yourself with too much, too little. Do you pray about spending decisions? Do you pray about budgeting? Do you pray about spending decisions? Do you pray about saving decisions? Do you pray about giving decisions? Do you pray about how you talk uh, and coach your children if you've got them about money? All of it, we have to pray. We have to invite God to give us kingdom perspectives. 
Got countless testimonies of God uh, in this place from people who are blessed in this era, financial stories. I haven't got time to tell too many of them, so forgive me, but imagine your story if you've got one. Think back to it. God's blessed me in this area. For worldly money says this, use me to fulfill your own needs, your own desires, and your own dreams. Kingdom money says, use me to bless others and grow the kingdom. It's an incredible tool. We know that money. Of course it is but not if we hoard it or worship it, like manure. If you pile it up, it stinks. Spread it around. (laughs) Helps things to grow. Luke 16, parable of the shrewd manager. Hill spoke from this passage. Use your worldly wealth. Parable of the talents. Use money well. Set it to work for good purposes. There's no commendation for the person in that story who who took what they had and and hid it and protected it and didn't set it to work, it didn't invest it. Great commendation for those who took what they've got, different levels, different amounts. It's not about comparison. It's what you've got and what you do with it. Jesus commends that. Love people, use money, not the other way around. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. That's another compelling, uh, well-known portion that we need to Bring before the Lord. What does this mean for us at the moment? I'll give a couple of clues, but uh, we need to take this away, friends. Matthew 6, 19. This is as close as Jesus gets to guidance on spending, in my view. Invest things, which invest in things, mostly, which have eternal value. So, Lord, whether you've given me financial resources this size or this size, help me to invest them in ways that make a difference for your kingdom that serve your eternal kingdom purposes, your mission, our commission to love people towards relationship with Jesus. That's what the church is for. So therefore, in ways that bless people, in ways that help people, in ways that educate people, in ways that heal people, in ways that serve people, in ways that create healthy relationships and family life, in ways that rescue people, from injustice and disaster and brokenness and addiction and poverty and idolatry in Jesus' name. And then attract people into communities of love called churches and build them up there in hope and in faith and in wisdom and in worship and into Christ-like maturity. And if your heart responds to that kind of investment, it's probably because your treasure is already there. And if you want for more of your heart to be there, then let's be asking God, how do I grow that? How do I invest more of my treasure in there? And Rick Warren says it even more powerfully, or a bit of it even more powerfully and provocatively, in my view. He says, the best use of my money is to use it to get people into heaven. He says, church, I urge us not to be flaky about this in a material culture. The early church were not. God so loved the world, he gave his son Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the kingdom is about both. It's working this side of the grave for all, serving the poor, blessing the oppressed, healing the wounded, better businesses, better services, better care of the environment, better quality of opportunity here and, of course, all around the globe. That's part of loving and and serving and releasing resources in Jesus' name. But the human heart, every human heart, is only transformed by one thing, Life beyond the grave with the Father for eternity only comes one way. That is by surrender to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So for heaven's sake, as we think about kingdom vision for our money and our resources, let's love people towards Jesus. That's storing up treasure in heaven. 
Three more headlines. I'll just give the headlines rather than the content, just so we, we get where we're going. Worldly money says generosity is great, but not yet. Kingdom money says be generous now, don't wait. Remember, generosity has nothing to do with how much we have. It's all to do with the attitude of the heart and what we do with what we have. Consistent whisper of the enemy, though, in this and other things is, put it off, put it off, put it off. I'll do it one day. One day means, one of these days means none of these days. Worldly money says, avoid clarity in your finances. Kingdom money says, learn wisdom, ask for help. Proverbs 14.8, the wise person looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool themselves and won't face facts. It's more that we could said, be said here, but it takes courage, doesn't it? We get ourselves into a mess that we want to bury our head in the sand. We don't want to face what's going on, maybe because financial resources are under strain. So, so the enemy says, keep it vague, don't look, it'll be all right, fingers crossed, whatever. And there's shame attached to that, there can be, and, and there can be guilt, and there can be, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to start, da, 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 all of that. Friends, we need enough security. The stuff that is brought into the light is the stuff that then has less power over us to keep us trapped. Of course, the enemy wants to keep us trapped there. All kinds of ways in which we can learn wisdom. Some people have fantastic gifts in that area. Duncan Harkness is one of them. Money Matters Ministry in this church family, helping with all kinds of things around money, budgeting, and you don't even need to be in, in, in struggling. It just, just help, wisdom how to do things better, or you may be, or, or a whole pile of other things. There's help, by the way, at the back available on all these Sundays by the bookstore. Anyway, that's around keeping things vague. Two to go briefly. There is such a th- Worldly money says this, there is such a thing as enough, but you're not there yet. So keep going, keep buying, keep the God of me, more, and mine. The disease of affluenza, somebody called it. It's the operating system of our, of our culture, I think. Um, you haven't quite got enough yet. Why do you think we have shops called Next and Gap? It's because they're subtly playing on the mindset of you'll, you'll be fine when you've got the more. And, and then you'll look perfect, Tim, with a, with a new jumper or a, you know, whatever. Whoever loves money will never have enough, Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied. Of course not. It's a false idol. It demands but doesn't pay. John Wesley worked out he needed, he had a salary of 30 uh, pounds a year. He worked out he needed 28 to live on. He gave the rest away. Ten years later, his ministry had flourished a lot. His income was 100 pounds a year. He worked out what he needed. It was 28 pounds a year, and he gave the rest away. So interesting, isn't it, uh, um, how we can, our concept of, of enough uh, can become elastic in that kind of way. Just need to keep bringing this. This is not a guilt trip. It's just to keep bringing this stuff to the Lord. The Bible says, the king, kingdom money says, contentment is something you learn, not something you buy. Last, worldly money says, I'm all yours, so do what you want with me. And you're only accountable to yourself. Kingdom money, from the words of Jesus, says, I'm all, in, I'm all God's. Kingdom money, I'm all God's, entrusted to us, and one day you will give an account. One day, you and I will give an account for what we did with our money, with our resource, with our time, with our, with our relationships, with everything. Luke 16, these other stories, they talk about the moment when the reckoning comes. There's an audit. Of course, the enemy doesn't want us to think in those terms. Certainly doesn't want us to think in terms of eternity or, or that kind of final reckoning or what that will be. 
just concentrate on the here and now in, in a material world, put all of that off. We neglect the eternal dimension to life so easily, I think. Store up treasures in heaven. So final questions for us as we wrap this up. I guess the question is, uh, well, the question that will be asked will be this. So what did you do with your money? And God's in front of us, not Tim. <laughs> what, what did you do with it? How, how did you go about using the, the resources that I gave you, whether they were this sized or this sized? What am I therefore doing now with my resources? What will I do with God, with what God entrusts me on into the future? Do I have a vision for how to handle that? And most crucially, of course, as always, what's he saying to us now? And am I listening? So friends, in this church, we, we, I believe that we've, we start, but we need to continue on the journey. What does it look like for you to have a kingdom vision for the money that God has loaned, where we are more givers than takers, where we don't love money, we don't waste money, we don't trust money, we trust God, the God of abundance, to provide, but where we steward his resources really well, use them prayerfully, to serve his kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom, not just a here and now kingdom, but in ways that help love people towards Jesus. May God bless us on that journey. Let's stand. As always, take a, take a stretch, take a yawn, take a touch your toes, whatever you need to do. But again, for, for, for those who are unaware, just before we head out of the doors, and our time is shorter than it, 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 it sometimes is, so if you've got children, you will need to be disappearing in about three minutes' time to honour the kids' teams and go and pick up children. But if you don't, again, I want to urge us, please, not to go from here without some kind of understanding from God, from the Holy Spirit, around what's he saying to me? Chances are it will be one thing. Don't try and do 10. But around a mindset and a heart that is more given to his purposes because he loves us. And then which will translate into action and decisions. If you want to close your eyes, it helps. Just... Simple prayer. We've prayed it a million times each, I know. It goes like this. Help me, Lord. <laughs>